one of the things that I always try to ask myself um, is, is that voice in my head really me or is it the external validation committee? <laughs> is it like, right, this little chorus of an, in that committee can change. Maybe it's the friends from business school. Maybe it's like my dad, you know, whoever it is that I think has something to say or, you know, is standing in judgment in some way of my life. Um, and I have to sort of pause and ask myself, you know, who am I really listening to here? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and an artist. And on today's show, you're going to hear the story of Miriam Stone. Miriam is a writer, she's a brand strategist, and she's one of the founders of Swing Left, an incredible political organization that really set fire after the election. Miriam has led many lives creatively and in her career, so I'm really excited for you all to hear about her time actually getting a book published in college and her first years out of school trying to work as a professional writer and figure that out, and finally accepting that writer's block and the fact that it just wasn't happening was going to make her need to change things up completely. Miriam ultimately became a brand strategist. You're going to hear about the making of Swing Left, how that organization came together, Miriam's work as a brand strategist, as a writer, as a namer, and how that came into play into making that movement take shape. And for people listening who are trying to juggle multiple passions or they're trying to figure out how to rediscover a part of them that used to be so important, I think this episode is really going to resonate. Miriam was a writer. She left that for a long time, and now she's rediscovering it. So let's get started with my conversation with Miriam Stone. Miriam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you here, and I'd love to start off and learn a little bit about what it means to be a brand strategist. This is what you are spending a good amount of your time on these days, but what is that, and what are the components that go into the job? So a brand strategist is somebody who helps brands to really define the essence of who they are how they want to position themselves in the world, what makes them unique, um, and how they want to then express that externally. And typically a brand strategist would um, work with a design team or create results that then a design team can use to kind of build out the expression of the brand. Okay. And what are some of the clients that you've worked on uh, for, for brand strategy? Um, well, in my... Um, Earlier career at Interbrand, we worked with some of the kind of big tech companies around the Bay Area, like Google and Intel and Adobe. Um, so I've worked on kind of large clients like that. Um, and then as an independent strategist and as well as in my work with Noise 13, which is a, a boutique agency in San Francisco, um, we've had the opportunity to work with a lot more kind of growth stage companies, um, companies like Planet, which is a satellite imaging company. Um Companies like Mobility, which is a car subscription app that's just coming out in the next couple of months. Um, also, things like cell phone cases and wineries and breweries. So really the whole kind of gamut. Awesome. And we're talking today for a lot of different reasons. You're a writer, you're a brand strategist, you've led an amazing career so far. And one of the things you've accomplished 
during your career is helping to co-found Swing Left, the political organization that's really taken fire since the election. It's one of the organizations that's included in Hillary Clinton's uh, endorsements and funding uh, of the organization that she created. And I would love to dive into how this came to be and how you came to help start Swing Left. Sure. Yeah, it's a great story. And it's interesting kind of from, I think, that brand strategy perspective, like what's a brand strategist doing starting a political movement? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but actually, um, a lot of the feedback we got when we first started it was how clear the brand and messaging was and that that was one of the reasons that um, the idea was able to take hold so quickly. So um, Amazing. Yeah. And, and for people who haven't heard of it, I'd love to hear how you describe it. Absolutely. So um, Swing Left is uh, an organization that helps connect people, mostly people living in kind of more safe blue democratic districts um, with uh, swing districts around the country. So these are locations where um, the last election was won by sort of a a thin margin, um, where there's a belief that um, in the next election for House of Representatives that that district is sort of in play for Democrats. Um, And so it's it's a way to kind of understand where those districts are to connect with them, to be able to provide time and resources, um, and really be able to make a difference in those districts, no matter where you live. Wow. And so it's after the election, a lot of the country is in shock, the world, and you and your co-founders are feeling this in a way that brings you to action. So talk me through those early days of how the idea started to, to plant. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, for me, like, many people um, in the country. Um, Right around the election, I was feeling um, very depressed, (laughs) um, very sad. Um, I had kind of started off um, on the day of the election. I had been thinking a lot about my grandmother, who was a lifelong political activist and a longtime supporter, actually, of Hillary Clinton, even way before um, there was even talk about her running. Um, And so the day of the election, I woke up feeling so excited and and happy about my grandmother's, what I thought would be my grandmother's legacy. I was pregnant with my second daughter. um, And I looked at my daughters and thought, this is so great. They're going to grow up in a country, you know, knowing that they can, they too can become president. And then obviously by that night, we knew that things were very different. And the next morning I woke up and I thought again about my grandmother and her legacy. And I thought, you know, what would she have done? Uh, in this instance, and she would have taken action. She never would have let something like that stop her. She would have just said, okay, well, now we keep going and we do more. So I had never been politically active before. Um, So I was kind of primed for uh, wanting to do something. And meanwhile, across the country, um, one of our close friends, my husband and I, our close friend, Ethan, who uh, had gone to high school with my husband, so they've been best friends and best men at each other's weddings. Wow. Um, Ethan was, he he always says he was kind of quickly moving past grief and into action, (laughs) and he just immediately started looking around at um, swing districts and kind of looking to see, okay, well, what are the chances for taking back the House of of Representatives in the 2018 midterms? Because that's the next thing that we can really do um, to take action. And he discovered that his closest swing district was really close to where he lives. He lives in Amherst, um, which is one of those safe blue districts. Mm -hmm. Um, But he saw that there was an area so close to him that he could drive to and he could easily get involved. And so he started to ask himself, you know, where are where are the rest of these districts and how might one find them? And he felt like there wasn't 
the information was out there, but there wasn't really a great tool. Yeah, like um, a central resource. A resource, an easy way to find these things. So he called up Josh, my husband, who is a developer and a marketer, and pitched him the idea. And Josh, again, was primed to kind of say, what can I do? And yeah. so he said, why not? Let's work <laughs> on this. And then after you know a week or two of them kind of hashing it out together, he brought me in and said, hey, do you know any designers? <laughs> um, and I said, yes, I work with designers every day. And um, and then he said, you want to help, you know, kind of get the, you know, what should it be called and, um, what should it look like? And so I kind of started to take over in terms of the messaging, the branding, the design. Um, and the three of us just really worked together and then brought many more people in along the way to, um, get it launched and built. Wow. And so, so you used all of your skill set, naming and strategy and design and put it into this kind of political energy to launch the organization. Yes. <laughs> and so how quickly did it take you to go from idea to getting it live? And how surprised were you at how quickly the organization took fire? And for listeners who don't know, maybe you can describe some of the explosive growth and attention it got pretty immediately. Yeah. So um, I can't remember when we first started working on it, um, but I would say the whole thing was just a couple of months at most. Um, we launched it around inauguration weekend, which I think was January 19th or 20th. Um, it was right after the women's March, um, last year. Um, so we sort of saw it as like an answer to the women's March. We knew that these big activities were happening and we said, we want to launch right after that and be the thing that people can take away from it and say, okay, now this is what I'm going to do to turn this kind of activism into electoral action. So that was our goal was to launch it then. Um, and, uh, we were very much surprised <laughs> by the explosive growth. I remember talking to Josh in the, you know, a week or so before we launched and we talked about what would be, um, a win for us, what would be a great success. And I said, well, maybe if we get 10,000 signups and he said, no, that's too low. We should aim for like 50,000 signups. And I thought he was crazy. And we got over 300,000 signups in the first, I think, two weeks. Wow. Um, it was like 100,000 in the first few days. I mean, the numbers were, were crazy. The site crashed. I mean, all that kind of classic stuff. We were just really unprepared. I mean, we had hoped for it, but we really didn't think that it would happen. Yeah. And for people who want to get involved, it's swingleft.org. Yes. And for folks listening who are wondering, hey, I want to become involved. I want to start my own organization. Looking back, was there some secret sauce in the way you rolled out Swing Left or the marketing or influencers that you reached out to that you think made a difference in those early days to really catapult it into the, the conversation nationally? Yes, I think I do think a lot of it was lucky timing. I mean, we, we, we did time it for um, that specific weekend. We actually had a lot of debate and back and forth among our team. At this point, it was not no longer just the three of us. We had some great people involved, including um, the current CMO, Michelle, who is a PR expert. And so she was really guiding us at that time. And uh, she was the one who really helped us think very strategically about the date of the launch and also an influencer campaign leading up to it. So we spent a couple weeks um, kind of building up that support so that we knew that when we launched, we had people who were promising to amplify our message, which really, really helped. Um, so I, I think that was something I learned. I had never done a, a real launch like that before, and um, I would certainly do something like that again for a for a, a launch of anything new. 
but I also think that part of it was just luck of um, coming out at that very specific moment when people were really hungry for action and were ready to sign up. One other piece to it is that because we were inexperienced in this realm, but we were experienced in our own realms, right? right? We were all sort of expert in our own areas. And we just said, you know, now is the time to apply this to politics. And we're, we didn't know enough <laughs> to be afraid. We didn't know enough to, you know, um, kind of do things in a more conventional way. And uh, I think that worked to our advantage in that particular moment in time. And um, I think sometimes uh, that lack of knowledge can actually be helpful a little bit just um, in just being unafraid to put something new out there. Yeah. And so you were with Swing Left for a while. Now you've stayed on in an advisor capacity. Yes. So let's rewind a little bit. I know that writing is really core to what you do as a strategist and you're super passionate about it. And you actually went to college for anthropology at Columbia University in New York. And while you were in college, you wrote a memoir and had it published. So I want to hear about that experience and also about those early days in your career where you thought you were going to be a professional writer and things didn't quite pan out as you had hoped. So talk me through kind of that time, especially jumping into the real world and the challenges you you face there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was in college, yeah, as you said, studying anthropology. I was also kind of minoring in creative writing and I was a poet um, and always had been. I had always written poetry. Um, when I knew you were it, a kid and Yeah, and when I was up. a kid, it was just the way I expressed myself. It was the way that I worked through emotions and things I was going through. I wrote lots of, you know, bad love poetry <laughs> and the things that all teenagers do. Um, but it had always come naturally to me. And I think I understood that I was a good writer and I understood that it was something, again, that I loved and that, that just sort of came naturally. Um, so I'll back up a little bit. So actually, when I was in high school, I had a couple of poems published in an anthology of teenage writers. So I had some sense, you know, that I had a little bit of talent and that this was something that came naturally to me, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't anything that I was thinking of as, as more than that. I just felt lucky and excited to be in this particular anthology. Yeah. And I, I think it did prompt me to continue to sort of study creative writing in school. Um, but when I was in college, um, so my mom actually had passed away when I was in high school, my senior year. So I had gone to college and was very much still grieving and working through all of that stuff. And yeah. I was using writing as a way to, to deal with that. And at one point, um, I was going through, just going through a lot of stuff, was pretty depressed and started pulling back through all of my old writing and all of my old poetry. And I, I remember one day I just sort of laid it all out on the, on the floor, like all these poems, all these like snippets of text. And, and, um, this was mostly handwritten stuff at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, cocktail napkins, everything like that. <laughs> I laid it all out on the floor and I just thought, you know, what is this? It feels like it is something. It feels like there's a story. And I decided to actually turn it into some kind of collection. I think I was thinking of it as a collection of poems. Um, and it, it, I decided to lay it out as a year in my life, the year that my mom died. So every month had a little bit of kind of prose, a little bit of just writing and then a poem associated with it. And I wrote through the whole year like that using my old poems as kind of the basis, but then also writing new things, kind of tying it all together into, into a, a bit of a story. So I took all of that and, um, I sent it to the, uh, the woman who had created the anthology of poetry. And I just was looking for feedback. I said, you know, I have this stuff here. It is. What do you think? 
And she sent it to her editor at the book publishing company, Candlewick Press. And that editor wrote to me and said she wanted to publish the book. Wow. <laughs> like, did that, that happen pretty quickly? It happened pretty quickly. It was, yeah, amazing. It was incredible. <laughs> it was so unexpected. I never thought anything like that would happen. And I think, really importantly, I wasn't trying to make it happen. You were think, just trying to express your yourself. Yeah. yeah. It was a process I was going through f- for my grieving. Um, and so the idea that it could be published, that others could read it, that it could really be something was was really, really exciting and, uh, yeah, very unexpected. So, of course, I said yes. <laughs> um, but I think on some maybe unfortunate level, um, that all the timing of that all was sort of towards the end of my senior year. So the book came out, I think, the spring of my senior year. And I say it's unfortunate because my senior year, I was thinking about, you know, what to do with my life. <laughs> Hadn't right. actually spent that much time thinking about it in college. And um, when the book came out, I just thought, well, obviously I should be a writer. I right. mean, here I here I am. I've had this incredible success at such a young age. You know, the book got reviewed in like the Washington Post and Kirkus Reviews and all the Publishers Weekly. And I, you know, I was on Amazon, which at the time seemed like a big deal. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I thought, okay, well, clearly this is what I should do with the rest of my life. And it's meant to be. So I graduated from school and I started kind of working sort of more odd jobs like waitressing and stuff in order to, I guess, keep me afloat while I was working on my next big thing. And the next big thing just didn't come. I just couldn't write it. I tried to write a novel. It just felt inauthentic. I couldn't get the story out. I really second guess myself a lot. I think I spent so much time thinking about how to make something that other people would like to read um, that I, I just, I lost the passion for it. And I didn't get past that. I think it was 100 pages that I wrote. And then I gave up. Um, I worked eventually in the publishing industry for a little less than a year, just, again, kind of trying to be closer to that dream. Yeah. So what happened after you left publishing? Where did you go? Um, So I actually, with uh, Josh, my now husband at the time boyfriend, who had been working in anti-money laundering at a bank, which is if you know him, very funny. He was wearing a suit. It was not him. Okay. Um, we decided to uh, just kind of take some time off and we went to South America. We basically got one-way tickets wow. um, and spent a year living very cheaply and traveling around um, and volunteering a little bit. And while I was there, I ended up getting kind of a consulting arrangement or consulting job with um, an organic fair trade cotton company that was um, founded by uh, this Dutch nonprofit. So it was it was very much kind of this community organization. And I don't even remember how this all happened, but they needed help with their messaging. They needed help talking to the US market, trying to sell what they were what they were making into the US market. And um, I guess they just saw me as somebody, you know, from the U.S., first of all, <laughs> and I'll, I think I talked to them about maybe being a writer, um, and they asked me to help them to craft their message and also take a look at the U.S. market at what the opportunity would be. Um, and so that was actually probably my first time getting into sort of business and strategy. Yeah, It became more than a communications exercise. It actually became sort of a business strategy exercise. I was calling up people from, like, Timberland and, I don't know, all these, like, <laughs> clothing companies, I would just get their information and track them down and ask them if I could talk to them about 
Peruvian organic fair trade cotton and I immersed <laughs> myself in the industry. I met with clothing designers in Lima and it was just really fascinating. Yeah. And so this kind of turned you on to this notion of messaging and strategy and, and all of that. And did you enjoy, you obviously enjoyed your, your time doing that. I did. I think at the time I thought of it mostly as, you know, I really wanted to make a difference. I was traveling and interested in what was going on, um, in Peru and I really liked the international aspect of it. And so I thought of it really as international development. Like how can Mm. I get involved in international development? How can I use my skills as somebody who's basically a good writer, um, to do that? And so I sort of put all those things together. And when we moved back to, to the U S I got a job as um, like a marketing and business development um, person at a nonprofit in New York that was focused on international work. Yeah. And how long were you there? That was Vision Spring? Yeah, that's Vision Spring. So I was there for about four years. So I started off focused first on fundraising and fundraising and marketing um, and started off just kind of assisting. And then after four years, I was, um, I was promoted over the years and became the head of business development for that organization. Oh, wow. So that those years at vision spring were really kind of your formative business marketing, all of that education. Yeah. And so over those years, is that when the transformation started to happen towards this idea of going to business school? Yeah, I think so. I I think, yeah, again, I started there as thinking of it as international development, as nonprofit, as sort of doing good. Um, But I was interested in the social enterprise piece of it. I was interested in that kind of intersection of business and nonprofit. So I guess I had already kind of learned that that was something that I thought was was an interesting approach. Um, And while I was there, that just grew stronger. That nonprofit is um, very business oriented. Everybody there either had an MBA or was going to get an MBA. It was just kind of in the water. Yeah. Um, the language that we used was not typical nonprofit speak. I mean, this was a while ago, right? So that that might be more common now. But at the time, we were really one of the first organizations um, out there kind of talking that way and really positioning ourselves as kind of that intersection of, of business and nonprofit. Yeah. And so... When did you leave Vision Spring and and decide to go back to school? Um, I left Vision Spring um, in 2010, so that was yeah. I had been there for four years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I had decided to get my MBA. I think I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I didn't know if actually I might stay in nonprofit um, and maybe come back as an executive director, um, or you know, if I wanted to start my own business. That was one of the things that I had thought about. Um, I didn't know what was next, but I really wanted confidence. I think being at Vision Spring in those years and spending a lot of time, you know, in the room with board members and people, you know, luminaries in the business world and the nonprofit world, I kept feeling like there was this language um, that I didn't understand. And I never wanted to kind of be that person in the room where I felt like there were parts of parts of things that I just couldn't get. I wanted to feel like everything was understandable to me if I could dig in a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was mostly about confidence. I wanted to be able to talk the talk and know what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. And so you went to UCLA mm-hmm. and you're originally from California. So you kind of migrated back. No, back I'm here. actually from Cleveland. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you're from Cleveland. Yes. I'm from Cleveland, but I have a lot of family in the Bay area. So okay. I was really hoping, hoping to be here. Yeah. And so, so you both made the, the move out here. Yeah. 
Hey guys, if you've been enjoying the podcast and maybe you're feeling inspired to start your own podcast, I'm really excited about a workshop that I'll be teaching at General Assembly in San Francisco called Launching a Successful Podcast. It's got everything you need to know to get up and running and launching a podcast as soon as possible. We go through equipment and recording and styles and formats and editing and marketing and promotion and distribution. So if you're interested in learning more about podcasting, check out the workshop. Go to ga.co backslash sf, scroll down to see all workshops and my workshop, How to Launch a Successful Podcast, sign up. And if you use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout, you'll get 15% off this workshop or any class or workshop at General Assembly at any of their locations across the world. So check it out, and I'm excited to share more of what I've learned with you guys. Okay, let's get back to the show. And we had talked about this, but, I, but I'd love for you to talk about kind of the value you found in business school, and because it's a lot of money and, and all those things, but... Was it really that kind of both the education and the network that you had hoped for? Yeah, I think business school was totally the right decision for me. It was great. I think as kind of that more creative person, um, I I needed to have I needed to have that harder skill set in order to again sort of kind of have that confidence to feel like there was there was really nothing that I couldn't do. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think business school really provided me with that. It absolutely provided me with the network. And I think because I didn't know what I wanted to do next, it was a great place to be to explore that. Um, I did a lot of different internships in kind of different industries and got to kind of experience different things, try out different things before committing. And then when I was ready to commit, when I knew what I wanted to do, when I figured out that that was brand, first of all, what brand strategy was. and You figured that out in, <laughs> I figured in that school? Out. Uh, a little bit. I, we actually had done a project when I was at Vision Spring. We actually had to change our name from what we were named before for for legal reasons. And um, as the head of marketing and you know fundraising and business development, I was that was kind of my task. So we were lucky enough to work with a pro bono um, agency, and they took us through a branding process and a naming process. Um, and uh, so I got to experience that firsthand and kind of lead that from the inside. And it was really, really cool. And I loved it. And I thought their work was amazing. And I also thought, for some reason, that I could never do that. Like, they were just too creative or they were just too cool. Like, I don't know. I just was like, well, I, I can't do that. They came in kind of like wizards knowing, yeah. knowing how, to, how to make these transformations. Mm -hmm. They were really rock stars, this, this team. And yeah, I just made this assumption that that couldn't be me. And then towards the end of business school, the idea of brand strategy came up again. I think we had a speaker from uh, from Landor, which is one of the big um, brand strategy firms. He was an alum, and he came back to speak, and he I went to the talk. And yeah, like a bell went off. I thought, wait a minute. I went through a process like that, and I loved it. I thought it was so cool. It was one of my favorite things that we did at Vision Spring. I was so proud of the work that we did, and it had a big transformation on our organization, so much more than just the name, right? It helped us set the direction for where we were going and how we talked about ourselves and the things we did and didn't do. I mean, it gave us those guidelines and framework. So it was much more than just a creative exercise. It really helped us refine who we were as an organization and move forward together. And so I heard him talking about those things and I saw that that was a path for me. And I thought, wait a minute, I could be like that really cool outside <laughs> agency that comes in and right. you know, does this really creative work. I could do that. I yeah. love that. And so 
after school, you went to Interbrand, which is another one of the top agencies. Is that the, was that the next move? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were there for about two years and, and what was your time like there kind of being in it now in that role and living that life those first couple of years? Yeah, it was, it was an amazing learning experience. It was very much kind of, um, I don't want to say trial by fire because I had a lot of support, but I mean, my first day I was working on a really big client project. Um, and yeah, luckily I had kind of great support and mentorship around me. Um, but it was a really amazing opportunity to work with, um, a really big brand on a big strategic project. So we just dove right into stakeholder interviews and market research. And I think I immediately really loved how it combined, um, all the work that I had done in business school, um, kind of in, you know, the strategy classes and kind of all the, the foundational work that we had done to really understand business strategy and marketing strategy. And then combine that with just a healthy dose of intuition, right? Like you'd put all this information together and then you'd have to step back and say, well, what does it mean? And what do we think? What do we believe? Um, and I think sometimes that felt a little bit missing in business school. It was always like the answer was in the numbers mm. and in the work that we were doing. Sometimes the answer was just sort of in our guts. I mean, we had to do the research to get there. Right. But there was this sort of strategic intuition that came into it as well and a little bit of uh, a spark of creativity. Yeah. And so you've been independent running your own agency, consultancy, brand plume for a few years now. And so was that always in your DNA after business school that you wanted to be independent, run your own thing? Like when did you when did you jump out from Interbrand and strike out on your own? Yeah, I it was not something I thought I would do. I think I've always had an independent streak and have always loved to kind of I guess be in charge. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and you um, thought about starting up your own thing right yeah, before I had uh, business school. Yeah, I had. I had always kind of had that in my mind, and yeah, that was a reason to go to business school was to feel like I could do that. Being an interbrand was a little bit challenging for me because it was a small office. The San Francisco office was small, but we were part of a big, you know, international corporation, and I never really loved that aspect of it of kind of being part of this bigger machine. Um, I really want to, again, kind of have that feeling of real ownership over what I'm doing. When I left, I, again, kind of went through another, <laughs> I was like, oh man, I'm going through this like career crisis again. Didn't I just go through this <laughs> coming out of business school? Um, my husband was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> you, you did though. You, you, you weren't sure which direction you wanted I to go in. I had no idea. I was actually pregnant when I left um, with my first daughter and that was part of the reason for leaving was just feeling like the lifestyle wasn't going to work. Um, and I didn't want to be, I, I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew that I wasn't going to be able to kind of come back to work right away and put in those kind of hours. Um, it just didn't feel, it just wasn't feeling right. And I yeah. think I'll, what I wasn't able to articulate maybe at that time was that I think the working with the really big clients in the Bay area wasn't, so much my passion. I think my passion really does lie in helping more kind of growth stage companies kind of get to the next level. Um, but that didn't become clear to me until a little bit later when I was kind of continuing to do my soul searching. 
what did your soul searching entail? Like, did you go <laughs> on another trip uh, outside the country? No. Were you just um, working that, with, with, the, with the, your family and, and yeah. things like that? Yeah. This time, well, it was a lot of long walks through the streets of San Francisco while I was pregnant, yeah. <laughs> going to doctor's appointments. Um, but I think it was also, I read some books. I read a book called Springboard, um, which I really, really loved. It was sort of a career advice book. Um, and one of the things that they said that was a piece of advice in the book was to send out like a little survey or, or I guess just ask this question of people in your life, you know, your friends and your family and your maybe former colleagues. I think the question is, um, what is something that you do well with ease? And I sent that out to like 30 people. Um, now I have a lot of had at this point, a lot of experience, like asking people questions and collecting the responses and right. <laughs> synthesizing it. Yeah. Um, so I went up, I went about that kind of research for my own life. And um, no, you asked them about you. Yes. About okay. Me. Okay. Wow. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I asked them that question about me Yeah. and, um, was hoping to kind of find some real insights in, in their answers that maybe I hadn't thought of, but actually I think what ended up happening is that it reinforced the things that I already kind of knew about myself that I, I'm a really good listener. Some people said, you should be a therapist. Um, and it helped me kind of to realize that I already was doing the work that I loved to do. Was um, there some disappointment that there wasn't some diamond in the, yes. in the stack <laughs> of like, I never thought of that. That's the thing. Yes, I was a little bit disappointed. Although one thing did come out, which is that several people talked about how I make really good salad dressing. So there was a moment <laughs> okay. where I was like, oh, I'll be a salad dressing entrepreneur. And then, yeah, that's very specific. Yeah. And then I was like, no, but, but <laughs> it's it, not in it. But it did reassure you or, or reinforce, as you were saying, all these things that you were doing that, that you're good at. Yeah. And it was nice to kind of see that I wasn't crazy. There had been a reason that I had spent all this time in business school looking at what my next moves were and then choosing this brand strategy career. Um, that, yeah, a lot of the things that people said really did align with with the work that I had done there. And then the other thing that I did is I got very clear on the kinds of things that I love to do with my time. In business school, I had thought a lot about what industries I want to be in business school tends to be a lot of like, well, what industry are you in? What clubs are you in? And for me, um, nothing ever had felt right. And I eventually kind of realized that that's because I wanted to be a consultant, right? I, I wanted to, um, always learn, right. Always be looking at, um, different industries and different things and sort of, I get bored quickly. So I love the idea of kind of doing something and then moving on. And that was still true. I just came right back to that, that, um, I wanted to kind of keep being able to do that, but that there had to be a way that I could do it and work with the kinds of companies and organizations that I cared about. And I think I also just reached this point where I said, I can't keep focusing on building my resume. I had spent so much time thinking, what's this going to look like on my resume? And I thought, you know, I'm just, I got to be done with that. Like I'm the one who has to get up and go to work every day. Yeah not the person reading my resume, right? <laughs> I've got to live with this. Um, so I want to focus on what's interesting to me. What are the tasks I like to do every day? Um, and how can I maximize those? And I had to stop kind of thinking about things through that lens of prestige. Um, there's a phrase Josh and I always use when we talk about this with each other, which is, uh, is that voice in my head really me? Or is it the external validation committee? <laughs> <laughs> is it like, right, this little chorus of an, in that Committee can change. Maybe it's the friends from business school. Maybe it's like 
my dad, you know, whoever it is that I think has something to say or, you know, is standing in judgment in some way of my life. Um, and I have to sort of pause and ask myself, you know, who am I really listening to here? Yeah, I absolutely love that. It's a good, uh, it's a good cheat because yeah. we all hear, we hear those voices, but to really, you know, identify, is it inside or outside, um, is fantastic. And so now you've come a bit full circle and maybe some of that kind of inside outside voice has something to do with it. But I want to talk about your more recent kind of rediscovery of your love of writing. And I know you're writing a novel now and you've, you know, found a way to kind of become unblocked and free and love writing again. So talk to me about that rediscovery process and what it's been like for you. Yeah, it was, um, I think it's been a bit of a painful process, actually. Um, you know, I think I suppressed for probably 10 years, you know, that urge in me to write. Um, I stopped really using writing as a tool for self-expression. Um, I think, I mean, I'm sure I expressed myself in other ways, but it was probably just through conversations or things like that. I, I didn't have any artistic, uh, expression for many years. I think I was channeling a lot of that creativity into my work, whether at Vision Spring or at Interbrand or when I was in business school. Um, but somewhere along the way, like towards the end of business school, um, I think as I started to gain more confidence in myself and in my career, um, I started to feel like I had gone so far in this like other direction. And maybe some of that was that external validation committee of saying that it's not enough to be, just be a creative marketer or a creative person or a writer. Like you need to be really good at numbers and business. And I had been focused so much on building up that side of me um, that I had really let the other side go. I, it felt like something was missing. It felt like this whole part of me just wasn't there, that yeah. I am this really creative person and I had just been ignoring it for so many years. So the first thing I did is I started this little blog, which I'm no longer doing, but I did this just, just in business school. I called it the creative MBA. And I just started to do little creative projects. My goal was just to think about like, what are the kinds of things I would do when I was five or six, you know, like maybe I want to paint something or maybe I want to like make a silly video, yeah. you know, whatever it was. It was like, I just wanted to go back to being a beginner, go back to not caring, go back to not caring if I was good at something or if anybody ever saw it and just go through the process and have fun with it. And at, at some point in there, I, I did start writing a little bit. Um, and then I really started writing after I left that job at Interbrand. And when I was pregnant um, with my first daughter, I, while I, I knew that I wasn't really going to be taking on any new jobs or any, anything like that while I was pregnant because, you know, <laughs> I only had a few more months. Yeah. Um, so instead, I decided to write a novel, <laughs> write a first draft of a novel, which was a little bit crazy, but I did right. it. Um, and it was terrible actually. <laughs> it was a really bad first draft. Um, but I did it and that was the most important thing. And I decided to kind of put it away, had the baby <laughs> actually after that started my consulting practice. So I was pretty busy. Yeah. What is that advice you might have for people out there who are juggling with some passions or maybe some competing passions in their life? What's worked for you to you know, and nothing's ever perfect, yeah. but at least, you know, try to balance things out and give time where you, where you want to across different areas. Well, one thing that I've been doing recently with writing my novel is, um, 
I've been really trying to have structured time for it. So I started a little writer's group, um, but it's not a, it's not the kind of writer's group where we share our work. Um, it's just time where we get together and we meet at a coffee shop and we all just sit there and write. And then building on that, I've started to host at my house weekly cocktails and creativity. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, so the same idea of just like having time and space to just be creative. Um, so last night we had martinis and people came over and someone was working on her design portfolio and someone was working on a stand-up comedy routine and someone was working on a short story and I was working on yet another new website random project that I'm trying to launch. So <laughs> whatever it is. Um, and it's kind of, uh, you socialize a little bit and then it's, it's yep. kind of quiet time to work. Exactly. You, you get your drink and you sit there for one hour and we don't talk. Um, and you just work on whatever you want to work on. We've had people doing beading and people, um, doing watercolors and it's just a, a time to do that. And I think so much of it too, is just the accountability of saying like, Yes, I said, well, for me, I'm hosting it, so I have to be there. <laughs> right, yeah, and you want to be an example doing I have to be your an example. work. Yeah, yeah. so, um, but yeah, it's carving out the time and then, and then, at least for me, putting that structure in place to make sure that I actually achieve it. And I think that is another piece that I would say is just having a lot of structure um, and setting realistic goals. I think I keep trying to say I'm going to write the next draft of my novel by a certain time, and the reality is I have a job and I have children and I have so many responsibilities. Um, and this is something that's really important to me and it's important to me to finish it, but it's not going to happen on maybe the initial, um, aggressive timeline that I had. So I'm trying to set really realistic goals and just hack away at it little by little and really, really be perfectly okay with that. Um, if it takes me five more years, that's okay. You know, (laughs) there's, the, the point of it is the process. Yeah, I love that. Miriam, thanks so much for joining the show and for sharing so much of your story. Thanks for your amazing work in helping to launch Swing Left. And I'm wishing you continued success on uh, the marketing front and, of course, with your writing, too. Thanks. Okay, that was my conversation with Miriam Stone. Miriam, thank you so much for joining the show, being so open and sharing so much of your journey. I can't recommend more highly checking out swingleft.org. See if you can get involved and make a difference in your communities, in your towns, in your cities. To learn more about Miriam and all of her work, check out brandplume.com. And also check out the amazing agency that she works with as well at noise13.com. That's noise 13 Be sure to sign up for the Making Ways newsletter at our website, makingways.co. You'll hear about new events, merchandise we're going to be rolling out, and so much more. And if you haven't gotten the chance yet, please leave a review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. It's such an important way for people to discover the show. So if you like what you're hearing, if you've listened to a couple episodes, if you've listened to today's episode and you got something meaningful out of it, please write a review on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, and it would mean the world to me. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix too. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week.